Today's scripture reading comes from Acts 1, 26, or 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Think of your favorite movie. Think of your movie that you could watch anytime, and if there is not a sequel, think of a sequel that would perfectly match your movie. Uh, I have a lot of great movies that I could think of, but I love sequels. I think this is why Star Wars trilogy, when The Force Awakens came out, it was, one of the, it was a record breaker. People wanted to see what happens next. And I want us to think like that because the greatest story ever told, greatest event to ever happen in the history of this universe, there is a sequel to that. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the story continues. And Acts is that book that gives us that sequel that the work of Christ continues on. So have you ever wondered why it's called Acts? So there are, there are many speculations. One is it's the Acts of the Apostles, the, the early church, the actions and the activity of the early church. Uh, some commentaries would say it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because after the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the church, and the church was active. One person, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says he would say it's the acts of Jesus Christ who continues to do his work in this world, even after ascension. So, for example, in a few weeks we'll read about this. But when Apostle Paul, who was Saul, persecuting the church, was going up to Damascus, who did he encounter on the road? It wasn't. God, specifically, it was specifically Jesus, the Son of God, or the second person of the Trinity. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? So we see Jesus active in the world 
even after the ascension. And so Jesus is active in the church, not only 2,000 years ago, but also today. And so I want to say this, and we have to say this. I think we all need to say this. Just nod your head if you agree with it. There's a lot of confusion about what church is today. Yes? I think there's a lot of confusion. Uh, so for, let me give you a few. So the most common one, what is church today in the 21st century? It's a place that you attend to go have worship. Church is a location that you go to to have worship. Others think of church as it's an organization that people made, that people dreamt up, that people organized, and after 50 years, here we are. Thank goodness for these great faithful people who created this church, right? Oh, that was Joe Smith's uh, balcony he built 80 years ago. Thank you, Joe. So church is man-made organization that people say, oh, we did that. Other confusions could be they view church as a social organization where they come to make friends. And church can be that, and church is a big part of that. But the church primarily becomes about making friends. So here's the problem. Our friendships become even more important than God and what God calls us to do. So what happens is, you know, high school kids go, go through this and adults do the same. So youth group kids, I want to tell you, adults are the same. They have a group of friends at church and new people come. Guess what happens? They feel threatened or they feel like they don't want to give up their pew. And so new people are not really welcomed because we have a good, comfortable group of friends. This is our church. It's confusion. Um, others... A lot of you may be falling into this, and I fall into this. Church is a place where we go to hear a sermon. If you read the Old Testament, if you read the New Testament, it's not, that wasn't the design of the church by Jesus Christ. But today, church is driven by a speaker who gives a message, and therefore we go to church. And lastly, um, this, there's so many, but this is things that I could think of. Church has replaced like a political party. And conservatives and progressives all are guilty of this. Church has become a platform where people can spew their ideologies. So here, we are all about inclusiveness. That's all we're going to talk about, just love. And then others, we are all about um, the, the capitalistic, making our nation great. We all want to be about proclaiming just the word and and if you don't like it, then get the heck out of here. And it's this ideologies that churches have taken a platform of, and instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you walk into a church and you could sense, well, this is very politically democratic or politically very Republican or others. And then libertarians, they don't go to church at all. So if, if it's like that. And so we, we've got so confused by what the church is. In the 21st century, we forget it, and so it's good to go back to Acts, uh, and it's good to go back and say, God, what is your design for the church? And what I want to say at this point is, it's helpful to us at this moment to acknowledge, I may have a distorted view of what the church is. So some of us, we pick churches by the preacher. Some of us, we, preach, we choose church by the conveniences. But if you read the book of Acts, 
none of the things that I listed are even mentioned as what the church was. None. None of these confusions were in the book of Acts. So let's dig in and find out. I think we find a wrong expectation because we have a wrong assumption. And so we have to go back to the beginning of Acts. Here we go. Uh, earlier on, chapter 1, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, continues a story of Jesus after his death and resurrection. And he writes in the book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Here's the first thing, you, you see it, you notice all the yellows. First and foremost, Christianity has always been and always about, begins and ends with the person of Jesus Christ. If a church doesn't talk about Jesus, it's not a church. You could have a cross, you could have organs, you could have a choir. If the church is not centered around who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus calls you and me to do, you're not a church. And so Luke starts out with this, this book of Acts saying everything begins with what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, what Jesus showed, and what Jesus commands. It's like he's screaming everything God promised in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now we get to live it out. It's been fulfilled. The, we're in the final stage. Jesus did come. Jesus did rise. Now we're in the season of the church where we proclaim and live out his life. Um, the confusion today in the church is we believe the church is about us. I'm going to say that again. The confusion is we believe the church is about us. You are important, vital parts of the church. You make the church. You are the church. But it's about Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. We have to say amen to that. That this is what all of this is for. And so Martin Lloyd joins in his, at the end of his book, first chapter, the final sentence is this. Do you realize now that essence of Christianity, not that it calls you to do something, but rather that it tells you what Jesus came into the world to do for you. That is a launching pad of church. We're here because Jesus did something remarkable for us. We are worshiping God because Jesus came and did something magnificent to draw sinners like you and me who had no hope into the Father's fold. How does that make us respond? I want to worship. I want to proclaim. I want to spur one another on. And this is the Acts. Uh, today, we, we, did, we read this in the catechism. What is the church? God chooses and preserves for himself. Uh, God sends out this community. If you look there, even in, our, in the theology, what do you see? The church is God's doing. God knit this together. God calls you and me out of darkness. He sends us out. He calls us to be followers. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which is, in our, which is one of the most popular common catechisms, uh, we'll do this in response to reading just for the heck of it. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? Go.
you hear the pattern. God chose you for whatever reason. I don't know why God chose me and why some of my friends are not Christians. God chose me in his grace to call me out, to be part of his elect, to be part of a community who love and follow him. Not a pastor, not a worship team, not a denomination, but to follow Jesus. And then the second part is God therefore sends us out. This is church. We have made church so much about, oh, that's where they have beautiful music. I love their choir concert every year. That, that church has beautiful stained glass. That's wonderful. That's great. And that's not evil. But it can confuse us what church is. And so these catechisms are deep theology over hundreds of years that remind us this is who you are. You are chosen. You are preserved. You are the elect. You are united in faith who love, who follow, who learn from and worship God together. Somebody say together. Like we do this together. So when people say, I can worship God, I don't need church. It's a headache. People always give me a headache. I want to just worship God at home. It is such a misunderstanding that Christianity is not an individual event with God. It is a corporate community. And so many people in the 21st century today forget that. That church I am delighted, not because so many of us gather, I am delighted to do life with you. I really am. And you know when we do life together for Christ, growing, worshiping, serving together, there's a joy. After today, when you serve, help serve the deacons, I notice every time I see deacon bags and serving, no one ever goes, why are we doing this? It's so boring. This is terrible. You know what I always see? I don't, they're, they're doing hard labor sometimes, and they're smiling. And they're laughing. There's something about serving God together because God has designed the church to be this way. And we have made church about a one-hour worship service. And we say, that was okay. Or, oh, that was good today. The music was nice. Or, oh, the sermon was funny. Or the sermon was kind of, I don't know what you're talking about. What if, regardless of the sermon, regardless of the music, you walked out and you said, God is worthy of all glory. This is church. And so you could be in, in Africa, in China, underground church with three people with a candle and a piece of scripture ripped off, and you see people worshiping without lights, without stained glass, and saying, God is so good. This is church. And so... Simple grammar of all these catechisms says God is the active person. We are the indirect objects who are recipients of God's blessing, and this is church. So let's continue. Um, Jesus continues in this verse, uh, Acts 1.8. This is a common verse we read in Pentecost. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What do you hear there? We are witnesses. Jesus calls us out, and he sends us out to the ends of the earth. Now, the Holy Spirit in John is known as the comforter. The Latin word for comforter, the Holy Spirit, implies encourager, the one who gives courage to us. Isn't that cool? So Jesus is saying, you are scared now, but the Holy Spirit will come, and he will give you courage. Now, can we raise our hands if we say, God, I need courage. 
I need courage to live your way. That's, maybe I'm the only one, that's me. Like, God, Holy Spirit, give me courage. And Jesus is promising his disciples, you will do this work by the courage that I give you. And the second part is witnesses. I looked up the word search. Look at this, just in Acts. We are witnesses. And you kill the author of life. We are witnesses. We are witnesses. <laughs> we are witnesses. They were not teaching a theology. They were not teaching Hebrew and Greek. They were just proclaiming what? This is what we saw. The early church started with just telling the story of what Jesus did and what they witnessed. And they all witnessed a man die and rise again. This is Christianity. So if some of you are saying, I can't proclaim the gospel, I can't share the, all you are is a witness to how great Jesus is, what he's done 2,000 years ago, and what he's done in your life. That's being a witness. The witness is a testimony to that Jesus Christ is truly who he says he is. So the church is a witness to Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome if the neighbors, we, we interview them, and we say, hey, what do you think about this church on Hillsborough, this community Presbyterian church? And wouldn't it be awesome if they all said, majority said, I don't know much about Presbyterianism, but I do know this church, they love Jesus, and they love telling his story. They believe in this person. They believe that God rose again from the dead. They believe he is the son of God. Like, this is our drive. This is our drive for the children and youth group. We don't want them to be good church people. We want them to be believers who witness and believe that Jesus Christ is truly who he says he is. So G he goes on in Acts. Uh, Jesus rose. He stayed with the disciples 40 days. And he returned to Jerusalem. And he promised the Holy Spirit. And the number that Ethan read today was 120 Christians were alive at the time. 120. Jerusalem, do you know how many people were living in Palestine at this time? Four million people. So to scale it out, in this county of Los Angeles, there are 10 million people. In all the county of Los Angeles, can you imagine if only 240 are believers of Jesus Christ? Right? 240. Now, how did 240 people in 10 million people, that scale, within 300 years make the Roman Empire recognize Christianity as a national religion? How did the world change so much that out of 240 people, the whole land in that region became Christian? It was the power of the Holy Spirit through witnesses. It was through the church. And so, as we kind of go down to today's text, verse 13, they, they entered into uh, Jerusalem. They went to the upper room. They were staying Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And Peter gets up. Peter's really pumped up now. And he says, I remember in Psalm 109, verse 8, there was something about let another take his office. Judas was this guy, let him leave. We need to replace him. And the first order of business, like good Presbyterians, is to fill the empty seat. And the nominating committee of our church said, hallelujah, let it be so, because we want to fill the empty seat. And 
the first thing is they are down from 12 minus 1 equals 11. We're waking up, 11. And what I would say as a pragmatist is, what's the big deal? Why not 11? But something in the disciples said, we need to replace Judas. And it may have something to do with this verse. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 28, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 is very important for the Jews, the 12 tribes. Jesus, in his first ministry, picked only 12 disciples. It's like a sense of completion. A lot of us interpret it as the 12 disciples represent the 12 tribes of Israel, that God is pushing through the church as the new kingdom of God. And so they rightfully pick uh, a replacement, and they choose two, Justice and Matthias, and then they cast lots. And this is an ongoing debate, you know, is it biblical to cast lots? You know, you know is it, it's like flipping a coin. Uh, but one, people say they prayed about it. Two, this is, this is the common practice and that God actually used it. Now, does that mean if you have two people to choose to go out with, you flip a coin to see which one do you go out with? No. Does that mean, you know, you flip a coin for college? No. But one thing they did do was they were deeply in prayer to God. And they said, God, show us who you want us to choose, that you choose. And we want to choose, notice, they didn't just pick any two people. They chose two persons who were with them through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And so they found Matthias. Now, how would you feel if you were Matthias? Some of us would say in 21st century, I feel like a winner. I made it to the inner 12. That's like a very American, modern way of thinking. But I want to share with you, here are the 12. Oh, oh, that was cool. Okay. So Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, the other James, Simon the Zealot, not the same thing as Judas. Judah and Matthias were there. And in essence, that's why I kind of wrap up, Matthias was chosen to proclaim the gospel and to be killed as a disciple. Every single one of them, except for John, was killed proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ. But John didn't get off scot-free. John, he died on the island of Patmos, but did you know he was boiled alive in oil? And he miraculously survived. Peter was crucified upside down, killed. John was boiled in oil, survived. James, Jesus' brother, was thrown off the temple tower. And some say he survived that, so they beat him to death. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Philip was impaled upside down through hooks in his ankles until he died. Thomas was speared to death in India. Bartholomew was flayed, for those of you, just peeling the skin until the person dies. Matthew killed by the sword in Ethiopia. The other James was beheaded by Herod. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Jude, uh, most historians say he was attacked by an axe and basically hacked to death. And Matthias is a little bit uh, controversial. Some people say he died of an old age, but most say he was beheaded as well in the persecution. Now, why am I sharing all this? 
Matthias gets picked, these 12 disciples live the rest of their lives after seeing the risen king, and they go on to be the church and to be his witnesses to the very end of his life. Now, the common thing about one of the reasons why logically people say Christianity is true is because none of these people died saying, we fooled the world so good. They were challenged and they said, James, we will throw you off this temple tower if you don't deny that Jesus is God. And James, this part gets me because I have a brother. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, I can't deny it. He is my Lord. That alone, just, it's so real. And they throw him off the tower, and they died. Um, I want to share this quote. This is what the apostle Andrew said. A legend has it that he said on his death as he's being killed. I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He's being crucified, and he's saying, what an honor. I have expected this. Why? Because my Lord has sanctified this cross. What an honor to die for my Savior. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, our greatest need is to know God. If we were all given a fortune, would that solve our problems? Would that solve our moral problem? Would that solve the problem of death? Would that solve the problem of eternity? Of course not. The message of Christianity is not about improving the world, but about changing people in spite of the world, preparing them for the glory that is yet to come. This Jesus is active and acting to that end, and he will go on until all the redeemed are gathered in, and then he will return, and the final judgment will take place, and his kingdom will stretch from shore to shore. That is the message that turned the ancient world upside down. So here's the takeaway for us. Do you believe truly that Jesus died and rose again? Do you truly believe Jesus died and rose again? Because your early witnesses, they could not deny him. Second question, do you realize that there is nothing in this world worth comparing that comes close to knowing Jesus. To the point of death, these people would say, you could take the world, but leave me Jesus. I am rich. And if we do, then Acts 1 is telling us that we are Matthias's. You have been chosen and called out. Why? Because you are witnesses to the fact that Jesus died and rose again and that he walks with you. And your only purpose in life is to tell the world, I have a hope that's beyond this world. You could take my body, you could destroy my life, but Jesus is everything that I need, and this is what the early church grew from 240 to transforming the whole world because he had this eternal hope that Jesus died and he ascended and he will return again. The activity of God and the continued activity of God through us is the church. We need to get ourselves away from being in front and say, this is a church not because we have a cross, but because we are filled with people who believe in this hope that Christ is returning. And the church said, amen. Let's pray.
Lord, it's so different living in 21st century La Mirada, California, being the church. And so we're going to need a lot of help with the details. But we thank you for the core. That church is not listening to someone talk or a place where we go to sing. But church is a gathering of the redeemed, called out, the elect, holy people, saints who have been purified by the blood of Christ and alive with the resurrected Christ. God, we want to be a church that fulfills your purpose, your call. We want to be witnesses to this world that indeed there is one hope, one true God, and his name is Jesus. And so as we go through this journey together through the book of Acts, and as we try to understand, especially after the pandemic, what does it look like to be the church? Lord, I confess I don't know anymore. But we look at your word and you tell us, Lord, we are going back to you. We are going to be about you. We want to be witnesses filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So give us courage to proclaim, to live in a way that makes the world take notice of true authenticity of a life that's eternally in your hands. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.